Shane by Jack Schaefer, Chapter 2 In the morning I slept late and stumbled into the kitchen to find Father and our visitor working their way through piles of Mother's flapjacks. She smiled at me from over by the stove. Father slapped my rump by way of greeting. Our visitor nodded at me gravely over his heaped-up plate. "'Good morning, Bob. You'd better dig in fast, or I'll do away with your share, too. There's magic in your mother's cooking. Eat enough of these flannel cakes, and you'll grow a bigger man than your father.' "'Flannel cakes. Did you hear that, Joe?' Mother came whisking over to tousle father's hair. "'You must be right. Tennessee, or some such place. I never heard them called that out here.' Our visitor looked up at her. "'A good guess, ma'am. Mighty close to the mark. But you had a husband to help you. My folks came out of Mississippi and settled in Arkansas. Me, though, I was fiddle-footed and left home at fifteen. Haven't had anything worth being called a real flannel cake since.' He put his hands on the table edge and leaned back, and the little wrinkles at the corners of his eyes were plainer and deeper. That is, ma'am, till now. Mother gave what in a girl I would have called a giggle. If I'm any judge of men, she said, that means more, and she whisked back to the stove. That was how it was often in our house, kind of jolly and warm, with good feeling. It needed to be this morning, because there was a cool grayness in the air and before I had even begun to slow on my second plate of flapjacks, the wind was rushing down the valley with the rain of one of our sudden summer storms following fast. Our visitor had finished his breakfast. He had eaten so many flapjacks that I had begun to wonder whether he really would cut into my share. Now he turned to look out the window, and his lips tightened. But he pushed back from the table and started to rise. Mother's voice held him to his chair. "'You'll not be traveling in any such weather. Wait a bit, and it'll clear. These rains don't last long. I've another pot of coffee on the stove.' Father was getting his pipe going. He kept his eyes carefully on the smoke drifting upward. "'Marion's right. Only she doesn't go far enough. These rains are short, but they sure mess up the road. It's new. Hasn't settled much yet.' Mighty soggy when wet. Won't be fit for traveling till it drains. You better stay over till tomorrow. Our visitor stared down at his empty plate as if it was the most important object in the whole room. You could see he liked the idea. Yet, he seemed somehow worried about it. Yes, said Father. That's the sensible dodge. That horse of yours was pretty much beat last night. If I was a horse doctor now— I'd order a day's rest right off. Darned if I don't think the same prescription would do me good, too. You stick here the day, and I'll follow it. I'd like to take you around, show you what I'm doing with the place. He looked pleadingly at Mother. She was surprised, and good reason. Father was usually so set on working every possible minute to catch up on his plans that she would have a tussle, making him ease some once a week out of respect for the Sabbath. In bad weather like this, he usually would fidget and stomp about the house as if he thought it was a personal insult to him, a trick 
to keep him from being out and doing things. And here he was talking of a whole day's rest. She was puzzled, but she played right up. You'd be doing us a favor, Mr. Shane. We don't get many visitors from outside the valley. It'd be real nice to have you stay. And besides, she crinkled her nose at him the way she did when she would be teasing father into some new scheme of hers. And besides, I've been waiting for an excuse to try a deep-dish apple pie I've heard tell of. It would just be wasted on these other two. They eat everything in sight, and don't rightly know good from poor. He was looking up, straight at her. She shook a finger at him. And another thing. I'm fair bubbling with questions about what the women are wearing back in civilization. You know, hats and such. You're the kind of men who would notice them. You're not getting away till you've told me. Shane sat back in his chair. A faint, quizzical expression softened the lean ridges of his face. Ma'am, I'm not positive I appreciate how you've pegged me. No one else ever wrote me down an expert on ladies' millinery. He reached out and pushed his cup across the table toward her. You said something about more coffee. But I draw the line at more flannel cakes. I'm plumb full. I'm starting in to conserve space for that pie. You'd better. Father was mighty pleased about something. When Marion puts her mind to cooking, she makes a man forget he's got any limits to his appetite. Only don't you go giving her fancy notions of new hats, so she'll be sending off to the mail-order house and throwing my money away on silly frippery. She's got a hat. Mother did not even notice that. She knew father was just talking. She knew that whenever she wanted anything real much and said so, father would bust himself trying to get it for her. She whisked over to the table with the coffee pot, poured a fresh round, then set it down within easy reach, and sat down herself. I thought that business about hats was only a joke she made up to help father persuade our visitor to stay. But she began almost at once pestering him to describe the ladies he had seen in Cheyenne and other towns where the new styles might be. He sat there, easy and friendly, telling her how they were wearing wide, floppy-brimmed bonnets with lots of flowers in front on top, and slits in the brims for scarves to come through and be tied in bows under their chins. Talk like that seemed foolish to me to be coming from a grown man. Yet this Shane was not bothered at all. And father listened as if he thought it was all right, only not very interesting. He watched them most of the time in a good-natured quiet, trying every so often to break in with his own talk about crops and steers, and giving up, and trying again, and giving up again with a smiling shake of his head at those two. And the rain outside was a far distance away, and meaningless, because the friendly feeling in our kitchen was enough to warm all our world. Then Shane was telling about the annual stock show at Dodge City, and father was interested and excited, and it was mother who said, Look, the sun's shining. It was, so clear and sweet, you wanted to run out and breathe the brilliant freshness. Father must have felt that way, because he jumped up and fairly shouted, Come on, Shane, I'll show you what this hopscotch climate does to my alfalfa. You can almost see the stuff growing. Shane was only a step behind him, but I beat them to the door. 
Mother followed and stood watching a while on the porch as we three started out, picking our path around the puddles and the taller clumps of grass bright with the raindrops. We covered the whole place pretty thoroughly, Father talking all the time, more enthusiastic about his plans than he had been for many weeks. He really hit his stride when we were behind the barn, where we could have a good view of our little herd spreading out through the pasture. Then he stopped short. He had noticed that Shane was not paying much attention. He was quiet as could be for a moment when he saw that Shane was looking at the stump. That was the one bad spot on our place. It stuck out like an old scarred sore in the cleared space back of the barn. A big old stump, all jagged across the top, the legacy of some great tree that must have died long before we came into the valley, and finally been snapped by a heavy windstorm. It was big enough, I used to think, so that if it was smooth on top, you could have served supper to a good-sized family on it. But you could not have done that, because you could not have got them close around it. The huge old roots humped out in every direction, some as big about as my waist, pushing out and twisting down into the ground like they would hold there to eternity and past. Father had been working at it off and on, gnawing at the roots with an axe, ever since he finished pulling the corral. The going was slow, even for him. The wood was so hard that he could not sink the blade much more than a quarter inch at a time. I guess it had been an old burr oak. Not many of those grew that far up in the territory, but the ones that did grew big and hard. Ironwood, we called it. Father had tried burning brush piles against it. That old stump just jeered at fire. The scorching seemed to make the wood harder than ever. So he was fighting his way around, root by root. He never thought he had much time to spare on it. The rare occasions he was real mad about something, he would stomp out there and chew into another root. He went over to the stump now and kicked the nearest root, a smart kick, the way he did every time he passed it. Yes, he said, that's the millstone round my neck. That's the one fool thing about this place I haven't licked yet. But I will. There's no wood ever grew can stand up to a man that's got the strength and the will to keep hammering at it. He stared at the stump like it might be a person sprouting in front of him. You know, Shane, I've been feuding with this thing so long I've worked up a spot of affection for it. It's tough. I can admire toughness. The right kind. He was running on again, full of words and sort of happy to be letting them out, when he noticed again that Shane was not paying much attention, was listening to some sound in the distance. Sure enough, a horse was coming up the road. Father and I turned with him to look toward town. In a moment we saw it as it cleared the grove of trees and tall bushes about a quarter mile away, a high-necked sorrel drawing a light buckboard wagon. The mud was splattering from its hooves, but not bad, and it was stepping free and easy. Shane glanced sideways at Father. "'Not fit for traveling," he said softly. Starrett, your poor shakes as a liar.' Then his attention was on the wagon, and he was tense and alert, studying the man upright on the swaying seat. Father simply chuckled at Shane's remark. 
That's Jake Ledyard's outfit, he said, taking the lead toward our lane. I thought maybe he'd get up this way this week. Hope he has that cultivator I've been wanting. Ledyard was a small, thin-featured man, a peddler or trader, who came through every couple of months with things you could not get at the general store in town. He would pack in his stock on a mule-team freighter driven by an old, white-haired negro who acted like he was afraid even to speak without permission. Ledyard would make deliveries in his buckboard, claiming a hard bargain always and picking up orders for articles to bring on the next trip. I did not like him, and not just because he said nice things about me he did not mean for father's benefit. He smiled too much, and there was no real friendliness in it. By the time we were beside the porch, he had swung the horse into our lane and was pulling it to a stop. He jumped down, calling greetings. Father went to meet him. Shane stayed by the porch, leaning against the end post. "'It's here,' said Ledyard, "'the beauty I told you about.' He yanked away the canvas covering from the body of the wagon, and the sun was bright on a shiny new seven-pronged cultivator lying on its side on the floorboards. "'That's the best buy I've toted this hall.' "'Hm,' said Father. "'You've hit it right. That's what I've been wanting. But when you start chattering about a best buy, that always means big money. What's the tariff?' "'Well, now,' Ledyard was slow with his reply. "'It cost me more than I figured when we was talking last time. "'You might think it a bit steep. I don't. "'Not for a new beauty like that there. "'You'll make up the difference in no time with the work you'll save with that. "'Handle's so easy, even the boy here will be using it before long.' "'Pin it down,' said Father. "'I've asked you a question.' "'Ledyard was quick now. "'Tell you what, I'll shave the price. "'Take a loss to please a good customer.' I'll let you have it for a hundred and ten. I was startled to hear Shane's voice cutting in, quiet and even and plain. Let you have it. I reckon he will. There was one like that in a store in Cheyenne. List price, sixty dollars. Ledyard shifted partway round. For the first time he looked closely at our visitor. The surface smile left his face. His voice held an ugly undertone. "'Did anyone ask you to push in on this?' "'No,' said Shane, quietly and evenly as before. "'I reckon no one did.' He was still leaning against the post. He did not move, and he did not say anything more. Ledyard turned to Father, speaking rapidly. "'Forget what he says, Starrett. I've spotted him now.' Heard of him half a dozen times along the road up here. No one knows him. No one can figure him. I think I can. Just a stray, wandering through, probably chased out of some town and hunting cover. I'm surprised you'd let him hang around. You might be surprised at a lot of things, said Father, beginning to bite off his words. Now give it to me straight, on the price. It's what I said. A hundred and ten. Heck. I'll be out money on the deal anyway, so I'll shave it to a hundred if that'll make you feel any better. Ledyard hesitated, watching Father. Maybe he did see something in Cheyenne, but he's mixed up. Must have been one of those little makes, flimsy and barely half the size. That might match his price. 
Father did not say anything. He was looking at Ledyard in a steady, unwavering way. He had not even glanced at Shane. You might have believed he had not even heard what Shane had said. But his lips were folding into a tight line, like he was thinking what was not pleasant to think. Ledyard waited, and Father did not say anything, and the climbing anger in Ledyard broke free. Starrett, are you going to stand there and let that, that tramp nobody knows call me a liar? Are you going to take his word over mine? Look at him. Look at his clothes. He's just a cheap, tin horn. Ledyard stopped, choking on whatever it was he had meant to say. He fell back a step, with a sudden fear showing in his face. I knew why, even as I turned my head to see Shane. That same chill I had felt the day before, intangible and terrifying, was in the air again. Shane was no longer leaning against the porch post. He was standing erect, his hands clenched at his sides, his eyes boring at Ledyard, his whole body alert and alive in the leaping instant. You felt without knowing how that each teetering second could bring a burst of indescribable deadliness. Then the tension passed, fading in the empty silence. Shane's eyes lost their sharp focus on Ledyard, and it seemed to me that reflected in them was some pain deep within him. Father had pivoted so that he could see the two of them in the one sweep. He swung back to Ledyard alone. Yes, Ledyard, I'm taking his word. He's my guest. He's here at my invitation. But that's not the reason. Father straightened a little, and his head went up, and he gazed into the distance beyond the river. I can figure men for myself. I'll take his word on anything he wants to say any day of God's whole year. Father's head came down, and his voice was flat and final. Sixty is the price. Add ten for a fair profit, even though you probably got it wholesale. Another ten for hauling it here. That tallies to eighty. Take that or leave that. Whatever you do, snap to it and get off my land. Ledyard stared down at his hands, rubbing them together as if he were cold. Where's your money? he said. Father went into the house, into the bedroom where he kept our money in a little leather bag on the closet shelf. He came back with the crumpled bills. All this while, Shane stood there, not moving, his face hard, his eyes following Father with a strange wildness in them that I could not understand. Ledyard helped Father heave the cultivator to the ground, then jumped to the wagon seat and drove off like he was glad to get away from our place. Father and I turned from watching him into the road. We looked around for Shane, and he was not in sight. Father shook his head in wonderment. Now where do you suppose, he was saying, when we saw Shane coming out of the barn? He was carrying an axe, the one Father used for heavy kindling. He went directly around the corner of the building. We stared after him, and we were still staring when we heard it the clear, ringing sound of steel biting into wood. I never could have explained what that sound did to me. It struck through me as no single sound had ever done before. 
With it ran a warmth that erased at once and forever the feeling of sudden chill terror that our visitor had evoked in me. There were sharp, hidden hardnesses in him, but these were not for us. He was dangerous, as Mother had said, but not to us, as Father, too, had said. He was no longer a stranger. He was a man like Father, in whom a boy could believe, in the simple knowing that what was beyond comprehension was still clean and solid and right. I looked up at Father to try to see what he was thinking, but he was starting toward the barn with strides so long that I had to run to stay close behind him. We went around the far corner, and there was Shane, squared away at the biggest uncut root of that big old stump. He was swinging the axe in steady rhythm. He was chewing into that root with bites almost as deep as Father could drive. Father halted, legs wide, hands on hips. "'Now look a here,' he began. "'There's no call for you.' Shane broke his rhythm, just long enough to level a straight look at us. "'A man has to pay his debts,' he said, and was again swinging the axe. He was really slicing into that root. He seemed so desperate in his determination that I had to speak. "'You don't owe us anything,' I said. "'Lots of times we have folks in for meals, and—' Father's hand was on my shoulder. "'No, Bob. He doesn't mean meals.' Father was smiling, but he was having to blink several times together, and I would have sworn that his eyes were misty. He stood in silence now, not moving, watching Shane. It was something worth seeing. When Father worked on that old stump, that was worth seeing, too. He could handle an axe mighty well, and what impressed you was the strength and will of him making it behave and fight for him against the tough old wood. This was different. What impressed you as Shane found what he was up against and settled to it was the easy way the power in him poured smoothly into each stroke. The man and the axe seemed to be partners in the work. The blade would sink into the parallel grooves, almost as if it knew itself what to do, and the chips from between would come out in firm and thin little blocks. Father watched him, and I watched the two of them, and time passed over us, and then the axe sliced through the last strip, and the root was cut. I was sure that Shane would stop, but he stepped right around to the next root, and squared away again, and the blade sank in once more. As it hit this second root, Father winced, like it had hit him. Then he stiffened and looked away from Shane and stared at the old stump. He began to fidget, throwing his weight from one foot to the other. In a short while more, he was walking around inspecting the stump from different angles, as if it was something that he had never seen before. Finally, he gave the nearest root a kick and hurried away. In a moment, he was back with the other axe, the big double-bladed one that I could hardly heft from the ground. He picked a root on the opposite side from Shane. He was not angry the way he usually was when he confronted one of those roots. There was a kind of serene and contented look on his face. He whirled that big axe as if it was only a kid's tool. 
the striking blade sank in maybe a whole half inch. At the sound, Shane straightened on his side. Their eyes met over the top of the stump and held, and neither one of them said a word. Then they swung up their axes, and both of them said plenty to that old stump.'